Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. Great to see you, and um, something that I wanted to say, just, just you know, in the you know, just to get this started, I wanted to interview you previously, and then I listened to your interview with Dan. And one thing about the interview, and this might surprise you, one thing about your interview that really like that I really appreciated was you really broke down kind of the financial mechanisms at work during COVID. And I, I just, it was just something I, I knew about, but you did it in a way that was very understandable. So, right. you know, just, Thank you. well, you know, you gotta give credit where credit's due. So I'm, I'm going to jump into this. Some of these questions I'm sure that you've heard before. Some of them maybe, maybe, maybe not, but here, let's, uh, let's uh, do it. So Billy, how did you get into hardcore? Uh, let's see. I guess the way that I got into hardcore, you know, I guess I need to give it some perspective. It was probably the uh, mid to late seventies and I lived in Southern California and on the street that I lived, there were uh, two kinds of kids. There were kids that, and there were a lot of kids on my street, but, um, there were kids that were in bands like ACDC and Led Zeppelin. And then there were, kids that were into these really weird bands like the Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys and, uh, you know, the Ramones and the Misfits. Anyway, I got my hands on some of that material and was just fascinated by the, the lyrics. They were really passionate about something. And uh, the bands like ACDC and Led Zeppelin, it, I like the music, but the, the content of the uh, message didn't really resonate with me. I think I was too young to uh, to appreciate uh, Black Dog. Uh, and uh, so anyway, yeah, that's it just kind of was a rapid hole that just went deeper and deeper and deeper. So then how did that then manifest itself into playing? Was it like you were just starting going to shows? Did you do a zine? Did you start meeting people? Like, how do you make the jump? Because was Half Off your first band? It was, and I wasn't an original member, technically. I was invited to join Half Off after their original singer, that uh, they had to kick him out for whatever reason. But um, when we think about this, so I was going to shows, and I was just a, a teenager, and um, the idea of publishing some kind of zine uh, that really that was primarily aimed at trying to stop violence at shows. That's that's the thing that was really uh, 
my, my main goal was if I can hand out some kind of flyer or some kind of zine, I can have content that addresses violence at shows. And if I interview bands or have cool pictures or something else, then people will want to read it. And if people want to read it, maybe I can sneak in some stuff about, hey, maybe you shouldn't beat someone up because, you know, they have the wrong color hair or whatever. And uh, so originally, uh, Think Fanzine was a single page flyer. And then I think there were maybe one or two of those. And then it turned into a full, full blown zine. And then it was interviewing bands. And then from doing that, I got invited to be in a band and from being in a band, I got invited to be a part of a record company and it, it just, it blossomed. So then how did you get into half off? Because you hadn't sang in a band before. Like how did you know that you could sing? Did you, I mean, well, I would first state for the record that I can't sing. Oh, <laughs> contraire. Oh God, but I, keep I going. But anyway, I, I mean, when I look back at the music that we created, I, I would say, with the exception of a couple of uh, a couple of my vocal performances, for the most part, my vocals were just hideous. But um, Half Off had been invited to record a song at Radio Tokyo in Venice for a Wishing Well compilation album that never came out, and they were having trouble getting their singer to show up for the recording session. So they had to kick him out at the last minute. And uh, they, they invited me to come and sing, you know, at the at like literally the 11th hour. And I had to decide if I wanted to be in a band right then and there. Were there already lyrics? Did they, I mean, okay. Yeah. The song was who writes your rules, which was, uh, which was written by the original bass player and, you know, the lyrics really meant nothing to me. And, it, you know, it was just, okay, I guess I'm in a band now. Gotcha. So then, because you guys do that and, I mean, Half Off played a lot of shows. Like, you guys did a lot, in my opinion, as a band. You guys played with a lot of really good bands. It's just, it's, it's really interesting to me how you joined this thing and you never thought about doing a band like it, that's that's I never knew that I was already very connected because I had been going from record store to record store selling zines and I knew lots of people in in the scene from from that I had done interviews with a multitude of different bands um in fact I'd even interviewed half off before uh before I was in the band so, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it was just sort of natural. And then once it came time to be, I guess I would also consider myself to be sort of the manager of the band. I was always the one organizing things. And I've, I've always had a knack for putting things like that together. So then what got you with the fanzine to start going to record stores? Because, like, for instance, when I formed Ringside, Ringside Records and I, I was putting out bands, um... I wanted to go and get the bands into, I mean, I'm get get the stuff into into stores, but I only knew that that was possible because people like yourself had gone in and gotten stuff in stores. What, what like what in your mind brought brought that about? Was it like sort of like, hey, I want to go beyond the shows, and now I want to like get it in the stores, or 
You know, I think what it probably was, if I if I had to pinpoint anything, I'm not even sure if this was simultaneous that, that it happened or if I need to give credit, but Kirk Dominguez uh, used to put out um, a, a zine, SFTG, and I, I would see him with copies of SFTG when I would be in line for a show, but then I'd go to Zed Records and the zine that I just bought from Kirk, you know, over the weekend, you know, at Fenders or wherever, that same zine would be in the rack at Zed. And so I, I finally, you know, I, I don't know, I, I just asked, you know, how do you, how do you sell these things here? And so then it, it you know, that's, that's how it came about. Yeah, Kirk is a guy, I mean, if there isn't a book of his photography in the works, or if it doesn't already exist, I mean, there should be. He really, like, it's, his pictures are, like, seminal, in, in my opinion, very seminal to the coverage of, like, that that scene back, back, back then. And, I mean, you know, whatever else he's gone on to uh, cover. He just, he has an eye. He's, he's very gifted. Yeah, Kirk is the real deal, and you know, if you were in Los Angeles and the uh, in the El Greater LA area in the in the '80s, I mean, you'd look around and he would always be there. And if he if he wasn't there, then you knew that wherever you were wasn't the cool place to be. There was more <laughs> better to be that night. You you weren't cool enough to know about it. That's just how it worked with him. So then, you're doing half off. And this is something I didn't know in doing my research of, uh, about about you for this interview. I didn't know that you didn't form New Beginnings. Like, you were asked to join that. Can you, like, is that that fascinates this whole aspect, the whole business, the whole, because you, you guys did things that I believe, like, honestly, were, like, seminal into, like, laying the groundwork for things that I was able to go on to do and, you know, all the way through what's currently happening now. Yeah, so I mean, some of this I have to really go back in memory to piece it together accurately, and you know, some of it I, I wasn't there for, so it's just been repeated to me. And uh, if I hurt anyone's feelings or rub anyone the wrong way, understand that you know I'm just repeating what what I've been told. But I believe that Capo and Bessie Oakley were dating, and they had an idea of starting a record company. And they enlisted Mike Truchon and Jordan Cooper. And then somewhere along the way to releasing the first record, uh, that that unity amongst those people dissolved. And I, I have no idea why. But the other thing that became apparent was that they needed someone on the ground in the Los Angeles area to deal with the printing company and also the pressing plant. And yeah, can't can't stress this enough that you know this is before there was an internet and you know before there were there was the ability to make a long distance call without there being a you know very expensive cost associated. Um, everything was complicated. So anyway, they they enlisted my help, and so I, I was the one who really did all the legwork in the manufacturing process of the crippled youth record. And then distribution ended up being a huge part of what I did too. Early on, Mike Truchon did the mail order, but um, I, I was I, I was kind of thrust into it, or or maybe I I, uh, I stuck my foot in the door and and uh, you know and inserted myself. But 
uh, by the time the underdog record came out, Ray Capo was completely out of the picture, and it was really just me, Mike, uh, and Bessie. How do you get Underdog on the label? Was that Ray in New York talking to Richie, getting you a demo? That's before my time. I don't know exactly, but right around that same time. So in between the Crippled Youth record being released and the Underdog record being released, I went to New York with Bessie, and I got to meet all, all those people, you know, the people from Underdog and uh, the people from Crippled Youth. Uh, and you know, Underdog was not out at that point in time. It was about to be released. And so anyway, uh, I think that it had already been in the works, and I, I don't know if it was Ray that had found them and promised them a record. I, I don't know for sure. And then Warzone also, there was a Warzone record on... No. No, okay. No, we didn't put out Warzone. Gotcha. So that would have been Revelation, because then, uh, I, I, then Ray and Jordan, because it isn't, I think that's Revelation 1. I mean, I probably should know this, given my there's, there's some sort of dorky record collector that <laughs> uh, is, like, really mad at us that, you know, that we don't know this. Right, know. right, right. But, you know what, at the same time, what they should appreciate is the fact that we are trying to create something so that if people are interested in the stuff, they can go and find out the information on their own. Right. <laughs> just it's like... Very it's very important. Well, I mean, just like you did with starting, you know, your zine, which led to you doing a band. I mean, you know, you had this desire. And so what does... What does distribution look like i know you, you you've said no 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 internet like how do you find out about record stores how do you create a distribution network you would see something in a magazine and another zine that you somehow got your hands on you know from traveling and going to record stores or from you know like you'd see like a, a nationwide zine like maximum rock and roll or flip side and you'd see reference to a record store in a different city and you'd call them and say, Hey, I've got this record. Would you consider selling it on consignment? And they'd either say yes or no. And you, you'd get the name of the person and send them 10 records and hope that you know, you, if you called them back in a month, they'd tell you if any had sold or not and send you a check for your, you know, for like, Ten dollars. It was a completely futile enterprise. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and okay. Now, at the time, though, what were your thoughts about it? I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're, you, especially now that you're also in, you know, that you are a. I don't want to say that you're a banker because that makes. I'm saying that that your 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 job is is I'm sure much more different, much more involved than that, but. Like, what were your thoughts at the time? Were you like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be helping this music get out to where it's getting, or? Totally. I was, uh, I was just totally stoked to be interacting with like-minded people in different places. You know, at the time, it was such a revelation that there were other people like me with similar interests. Uh, you know, in other cities, other states, other countries, you know, at, at the time, it was so unusual to find people that were into anything alternative at all. 
that, that being able to call someone in another state, and, you know, and talk to them about it was incredible. So then how does Youth of Today play into this with New Beginnings? Because you guys did a Youth of Today thing, correct, on New Beginnings? No, no, we never released any Youth of Today stuff. But the way that Youth of Today plays into this is before, in between, well, at the time of Think Fanzine, but before I was in New Beginning, Youth of Today did what I'm going to call a mini tour in, um, in California. And uh, Dan and I went to see them somewhere, I don't know, it was like, I don't know, somewhere uh, like in Azusa or something like that. And um, that's, that's where I met Bessie and Ray and Purcell. And, gotcha. And, and Kevin Seconds was, he was playing drums for them at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So that is the whole, okay, cool, 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 cool. So you don't go to that show. Your life could have been, I mean, it could have been much different potentially in, you know. I don't know. I was already pretty diehard about, you know, all that stuff. I think I was already on a path that was leading me in, you know, certain direction. Um, I, I'm sure it would have been different, but, you know, I, I don't know. 